I feel like I got all plugs all over here, but it's great to be together. Great to be with the CME Church this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you to church. We hope that you feel the God Spirit moving in you. You feel part of the family, part of the ministry here. And for me, it's just a great honor to be with you and to be worshiping with you this morning. And it's just great to see each other, to hug each other, to greet each other, and to be together in communion with God. Amen. Uh, and it is great to gather together. Uh, it's, it's great to have a relationship with God, but it's also great to gather and do this together. And I do bring you greetings from the Lifeway Church uh, in the central area of Los Angeles, kind of the Pasadena area. If you know a little bit of the Rose Bowl area, uh, San Gabriel, Alhambra, Glendale, uh, we're having service this morning there. Uh, two different worship locations, one in Glendale and one in San Gabriel. And I bring you greetings from all those people. Amen. Uh, this is my family here. They used, I think, uh, is this working here yet? There we go. That, that's my family. I do have uh, three kids. One of them is uh, a Pepperdine student, but he's actually in Alaska for a year. He's up there and uh, they're already kind of feeling the winter, even though uh, here is really warm. Uh, so he was actually showing me some pictures of him kind of cracking through the ice as things are changing over there. The weather is changing. Uh, they're having a retreat this weekend in, uh, in actually in Talkeetna, which is a camp. It's called Gateway to the uh, Arctic Camp. It's a camp run by Hope Worldwide. Uh, and they're having a retreat there this weekend, but he's up there in Alaska for a year. Uh, he's a, a, a third-year Pepperdine student. I also have another college student, Adrian, who is a Cal State LA student, uh, was studying engineering, but he's switching to something else. You, you know how that goes, right? You kind of start doing something and then switch to something else. And I have a, a junior, my daughter, Bianca, uh, that you see, see there in the middle. Uh, this is our Lifeway Church team. This is our, our leadership team there in Lifeway. You probably recognize some, uh, some uh, usual suspects. Uh, I believe Reese has come out here, Reese and Mary Kay, uh, to speak to you all. He's one of our ministry leaders there. And there you see kind of uh, our, our, t our youth leaders, our teen leaders, our campus ministry leaders, the Fuquays uh, who are uh, serving the eldership, but also uh, lead the San Gabriel uh, English ministry. And also the Stephens who are training uh, for the eldership there. You see them in, in that picture. Uh, one of the greatest things that I've been able to do here for the past couple of years, and I can't believe that it, uh, I'm going to be graduating this December, is being part of a ICOC cohort studying missional leadership, uh, uh, a, uh, a graduate degree in, uh, in uh, religious education through Rochester College in Michigan, and we're doing all this online. Uh, we uh, had a cohort that started about two years ago. It's going to graduate uh, this year. We've been learning a lot of incredible things together, and uh, we had another cohort that started about a year ago. And so kind of you see the group, both cohorts there in the picture. You might see some people that you recognize as well. But it's been great to be able to learn with each other, to grow, uh, to be able to learn more about the scriptures and to be able to uh, expand uh, uh, my relationship with God, but also my understanding of God and the scriptures and the Bible and being able to teach others as well. It's really been the best thing I've ever done for my spiritual walk since I've been a Christian. I became a Christian in 1990 as a UCLA college student. Uh, and so that's been almost 30 years ago. And so this has been the very best thing that I've done for my spiritual life. Amen. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about uh, stories of the kingdom. Uh, and um, we've been uh, studying in, in the Lifeway uh, region, especially in the San Gabriel part of the Lifeway region. Uh, we've been studying the parables, the parables of Jesus. Uh, and the parables, uh, the, uh, if you, you know, the word itself comes from a land word, parabola. Uh, but it really comes from a Greek word that I'm not going to even attempt to uh, say at this moment. But it really the meaning is to throw something 
uh, against, uh, to compare something against something else, or to set together, to bring one thing together with another so that you can have a comparison to give a bigger or greater meaning to what you're trying to explain. It, it could be almost like throwing something out there, see if something sticks, you know. Uh, but really it's a fable, an allegory, or a representation of something of real in real life or nature from which it, we, we can grow, uh, gather or, or uh, learn a moral, uh, a moral or instruction for our lives. Now Jesus' parables are particularly important. Uh, if you have read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the New Testament, the story of Jesus while he was here on earth, you understand that a lot of this teaching was done through parables. Uh, he was uh, taking examples from real life in that day and bring them to life so that people in that day could understand what was happening, could understand what was coming into the world, was, can understand the inbreaking of God's rule, of God's reign, different values, that everything was really changing with Jesus and that was going to cul culminate in his death and his resurrection. And so enable for, for, for him to be able to bring in them a greater imagination. For them to really open their minds and to understand and grasp what was happening through Jesus, he had to use stories. And we are, I don't know if you know that, but we are a story form people. We like stories. How many of you like movies? One of the reasons why we like movies is, is because it's a story. It's a beginning and an end. It has a climax. It, it has something that has to be resolved. And, and, and you know, the best movies are those that are, tell the best stories. Uh, you know, we, how many of you like to read? Okay, about half. <laughs> so there's more people like movies than read, but it's the same thing. You're reading a story. You're understanding a story. And do you know that you yourself have a story? All of us have a story. And you know one thing we, that we like to do? We like to tell our story. Yeah. We like to tell people our story. And we love it when people ask us about our story, don't we? Yeah. When they ask us, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. And you kind of start going and you kind of start, you know, giving the beginning and the, and the climax and what happened and then what's happening now. And that's really the kind of people that we are. So Jesus and God understanding this and for us to understand a bigger reality of God's kingdom then he really brought it forth through teaching of, of, of parables, of stories like this. Uh, Jesus' parables were rooted in real life stories and situations. Things that people could relate to. When Jesus spoke of something, it wasn't like he was saying something that was far off from their experience. They're like, hey, I can relate with what he's saying. Um, they drew uh, people to specific spiritual and moral conclusions. Uh, it primarily had to do with these values of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. Uh, through Jesus at that time. And, you know, one of the things that maybe we don't uh, today uh, appreciate as much about parables is that the parables were meant to be shocking. They were meant to surprise. They were meant to shock. They were meant to, you know, as the audience was listening to, to them, to kind of, they, they hear the story and the conclusion would have been shocking, would have been like, what? And how did that happen? And of course, those of us that are familiar with the Bible, we've read these stories many times, we're familiar with them. And so a little bit of the shock is gone, right? A little bit of the surprise is gone because we kind of know where the story is going. But I want us to transport ourselves to that time and to maybe be a little bit more attentive to the surprise and the shock for the people hearing it in that day, but also for us as well. You know, I love this quote by uh, Bob Goff. 
Uh, he's a, an author that's written a number of books, that, uh, you know, like Love Does. And he says the following about parables. He says, we don't always get to pick the parable we're living, but we get to pick who we are in the parable. Right? I mean, it, it really, I mean, what's happening in our lives, we really can't control what's going on. But as you see these parables, you see different characters, different personalities, and we get to choose who am I going to be in this parable, in the story that I'm living now. Uh, we don't have time to really look into them. In Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus, as he uh, relates of what many of us understand the parable of the sower, they ask him, hey, why do you speak in parables? Why do you, you know, teach in this way as he's beginning his teaching ministry? And Jesus then explains something, a, a spiritual reality in his, uh, in his teaching. And what he says is really something paradoxical. Because what he says is that the reason why he teaches parables is to reveal and to conceal. And it's a little bit interesting as a trying. What, what do you mean reveal and conceal? And what he, what he means to say is that the real truth in his parables come through through spiritual understanding. The real truth in understanding what Jesus wants for our life comes through with spiritual eyes, not with just our regular understanding. And so for some people, if they are not open to spiritual things, if they're not thinking in a spiritual way, then what Jesus says is kind of going to go right over their heads. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that when maybe you read something one time and you just really didn't get it. Or maybe later on you read the same thing and it hits you in a way that it never hit you before. Well, that's because some things in that passage were concealed that are now being revealed as, as the Spirit is working in our lives. And that's really the exciting part about reading the Bible is that we get constant revelation in our lives from the Scriptures. Amen. And so God's wisdom and truth, there's a concealing, but also it is revealed in our hearts. Let eyes who, who, who uh, uh, let those who have eyes see and those who have ears hear. Right. That's what Jesus is talking about. Well, if there's a familiar parable that people have heard is a parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, few of the uh, parables of Jesus have been as embraced or celebrated as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's an episode from the life of Jesus as found in Luke's gospel account. There's been countless songs, uh, writings, books, poems, sculptures and paintings Included those by celebrated masters like Rembrandt and Van Gogh that have inspired this episode of Scripture. Uh, this passage of Scripture continues to convict and inspire even to this day and serve as one, serves as one of the clearest messages of the type of love that Jesus championed in his teachings. And this is the example of a Van Gogh painting of, of this parable of the Good Samaritan. But why has this passage of Scripture, scripture resonated so much Throughout the centuries, you know, the term Good Samaritan has become emblematic of someone who does a good deed, right? Maybe someone who helps someone change a tire on the side of the road or like, uh, you know, uh, someone that that helps a, a, an older an old lady walk across the street. You know what a good Samaritan. There's even hospitals named Good Samaritan Hospital. So give the idea of that helper aspect of the Good Samaritan. Or maybe like this story from actually just about a month ago or a couple months ago. Uh, people in Missouri uh, are searching for a teenager, and this is part of a story uh, that was written in an article in USA Today. Police in Missouri are searching for a teenage boy who was seen by an officer performing an incredible act 
of kindness, helping shield an elderly woman from the driving rain. Officer Joe Holt of the Independence Police Department took the, to social media last week in hopes of finding this good Samaritan, the teen in question, so he can reward him for his generosity. Holt was sitting in his vehicle during a rainstorm when he saw a boy leave the back of, of a vehicle uh, he was in and approach an elderly white female who was making her way back to her car. The boy removed his coat and held it over the woman to protect her as she made her way through the parking lot. The young black male teen exited the back seat of a van he was, he was in, said the officer, while it was pouring rain, took his coat off and protected this elderly uh, woman from the environment the best he could all the way to her car, said the officer. And he continued, he then walked back to his car all the while not saying a word to his auntie or mom when he exited or re-entered. Holt wrote in a Facebook post for the department that's since gone viral. Holt said uh, he then followed the team back to his car and approached the driver, the boy's mother, to tell her of what her uh, son had just, uh, what he had just seen his son, uh, her son do for this elderly woman. His woman had no idea what was happening because she thought she had done something wrong since I was in uniform. Holt said, describing the interaction, I told his mom that she had done amazing with him and I hope and pray he goes places. He started tearing up because she started tearing up because I was a cop and took time out of my day to call him out on what I witnessed. The officer was so touched by this encounter that he is hoping to get back in touch with the teenagers so he can take him out to dinner to thank him for his kindness. With all the hate fueled by color, beliefs, sexual preference, or race, the only thing this kid cared about was being kind, Holt said. Holt said he knows the chances are slim that he'll find the teen again, but is counting on the power of social media. Added Holt, kiddo, if you see me on the street again, this guy owes you dinner. You ever need anything, I will come running to you. And you know, think about that this young man just out of his own volition just walked, stepped out of the car to do something good for somebody else. This is a timeless story. It's a, it's a story of a most unlikely act performed by a most unlikely individual, many times nameless, which powerfully illustrates the true meaning of charity. The parable of the Good Samaritan. So imagine yourself in a first century audience. You know, today you have the Bible, you have the scriptures, or you have even the scriptures put up on the screen. But back in the day, uh, people didn't carry their Bible around because there wasn't a Bible to carry around with them. The Old Testament, the Torah, and then all the prophets' writings were, were, were found in scrolls. And so it, it wasn't that, you know, a person would be carrying a wagon of all the scrolls of the Bible with them. Uh, the scrolls were usually in synagogues and places of worship where people would go and listen to the word taught. Or there were some maybe some wealthy people where they maybe had a scroll. Maybe the scroll of Isaiah like the Ethiopian eunuch had and he was reading uh, in his chariot when he encounters Philip on the way back from Jerusalem, right? But that was not a very common thing for someone to have a scroll of the Bible, a scroll of the scriptures. Right. So the way that the scriptures were relayed to people, they were relayed in a public setting just like this, maybe in a home, maybe in a courtyard, where someone would come up and buy, from memory basically uh, uh, speak uh, in, in a loud voice 
the entire Gospel of Luke, which is the example of the Luke of, of Luke story that we're reading here today. So imagine here in your first century audience, there's a narrator who's in front of everybody, basically narrating the story of Luke, Luke's Gospel. And within that Gospel, you have this episode of this Good Samaritan interaction with this teacher of the law and the story of the Good Samaritan. But maybe in a home, maybe in a courtyard, or maybe by the road, or in a town center. And people are gathered together and they're listening to this person tell this story and kind of go through the different climaxes of the story and the different questions that kind of grab people's attention and leading to this shocking conclusion. So we're going to be reading today uh, one of these episodes in this live drama from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, and that's where we find the parable, verse 25 to 37, is part of the Lucan journey of the, of the gospel. It's basically 951 where the Bible says that Jesus set out resolutely towards Jerusalem. And he starts going through initially through Samaria and then goes through Judea on his way to Jerusalem. And this section of scripture contains the most, the largest amount of parables in all of the gospels, in all of Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. And there's 15 parables just in this one section right here uh, from Luke 9:51 through 18:34. Uh, and, and, and interestingly, this, the the the, uh, the journey, which really represents our journey uh, spiritually as believers, the journey begins going through Samaria. And if you guys know a little bit of the story, he goes to Samaria. He doesn't get a, a good reception in Samaria. There's a real background. I'm going to go into it a little bit more. But he doesn't get a good Samaritan. And then uh, John and, and his brother basically ask Jesus, hey, do you want us to call down fire to destroy the Samaritan villages? And Jesus, of course, you know, that's why he calls them sons of thunder. And he kind of say, whoa, 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 you guys getting a little too aggro right there, right? But you kind of see a little bit of the feeling and the sentiment between the Jews and the Samaritans right from the beginning of this journey story. So he's resolutely heading out towards Jerusalem. And, and in these parables, he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. He's teaching about the reign of God. He's teaching about what God's reign is really all about, what values represent God's reign. Um, and so here we have uh, this, this parable in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And in this parable, we have five questions, one answer. And one of seven characters. Okay, so let's see if you, if, you, if you can catch any of these as we read it together. Does that sound good? So five questions, one answer, and one of seven characters. So let's read it together. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, the Good Samaritan story, and we're going to go a little bit into how, how important, how symbolic, and how down-to-earth the story was to the people in that day, and how shocking was the conclusion. But when you think about the Samaritans and the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews, imagine the hatred between the Serbs and Muslims in modern Bosnia, the enmity between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, or the feuding between street gangs in Los Angeles or New York. And you have some idea of the feeling that it caused between Jews and Samaritans in the time of Jesus. There was both politics and religion that were involved. You know, we go back all the way to the original 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph's sons, is two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, they settle in the parts of the Promised Land, which would later become Samaria. After King David and King Solomon, the United Kingdom is, is divided, ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. Uh, you guys know a little bit of the story maybe of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Uh, and so Jeroboam established uh, worship in the north, uh, in Dan and Bethel. So Is Israelites wouldn't have to travel all the way down to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, then King Omri of the northern king in, uh, kingdom bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer. Uh, you can see, find that in 1 Kings chapter 16. And he built there uh, the city of Samaria, which then became the capital. In 722 B.C., the city fell to the Assyrians and became headquarters for the Assyrian province of Samarina. While many of the inhabitants of the city uh, in the surrounding area of Samaria were led off into captivity. And so some farmers and others were also left behind. They, these intermarried with the settlers from Mesopotamia and Syria. And so when the exiles return, they, found, they find this group now of intermarried Jews and, and uh, Assyrians and uh, other uh, people that have been in that area. And they come back and they try to reclaim the land. And so you have kind of that battle, that, that political battle, the social battle, but also the religious understanding of these people have gone away from real Orthodox Judaism. And so that leads to hundreds of years of conflict that was real in the time of Jesus in that day. You know, it says that at that time in, in Luke 9, verse 52, uh, and this is, this is a little bit in the beginning of the Lucan journey. And I'm not going to read this. This is the story of the two, you know, the two disciples who basically say, do you want us to, you know, rain down fire from heaven? So you kind of see a little bit of the feeling there between the Jews and between the Samaritans. So five questions. Each question serves to set the scene and marks turning points in the passage to illuminate truth. Okay, let's see if we can see all the different five questions. Um, here's the first one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Okay, what kind of question is that? Is that a pretty good question? I think that's a pretty good question, right? Uh, the, set, and the next one is, what is written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? This is was really a two-part question. It, it could actually just be one question. But it's, what is written in the law and how do you interpret it? How, how, with what lens are you reading it? And then, of course, we have the answer. And then you have the next question, which is a question that the narrator, as he tells the story, says, was a question that came, across, came out because uh, the teacher in the law was trying to justify himself. So we're kind of reading a little bit into the motives, right? And he asked, well, who is my neighbor? And then the last question uh, you have there is, Basically, uh, Jesus asks, you know, which one of these uh, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And then the, the, you had the answer right there. So these were the five questions that were asked. You know, but the, the first thing that we understand, the very first question from the very beginning is that what Jesus is about to explain in the parable of the Good Samaritan is a matter of eternal life. That's how the whole scene starts. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there are two other people in the life of Jesus that uh, also approach Jesus with the same question. And the interesting thing about it is that Jesus never rejected that question. He never said, oh, you're asking the wrong question. He never said, oh, you know what? This is going to take a long explanation. Or, you know what? Let's sit down and study the Bible for a couple weeks and maybe you'll get it. He answers them immediately. So he does not reject this question, but it's a question with matters of eternal life. Can anyone think of here the two other occasions when someone asked Jesus the same questions? Yeah, so one of them is Nicodemus. Who's the other one? The rich young ruler, right? Now, rich young ruler, he goes out and he just asks him, right? You know, uh, and then Jesus answers him. He says, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he says, you know what? You need to go sell everything. Get half the poor and then come follow me. And, you know, we know, all know the whole story. I mean, he went away sad because he had great wealth. In the case of Nicodemus, he went and he started telling Jesus all kinds of good, good things. Well, you know, you're a prophet who came from God and you're teaching great things. And, but Jesus knew why he came and he just answers him. Hey, I know where you came. Here's your answer. You you must be born again. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. But you know, this is, this is more than just an issue of being a good person. This is more than just an issue of being a good Christian. This is more than just a person of, an issue of being just a good example. This is an issue of salvation. When we talk about this issue of this type of love that's exemplified in, in the Samaritan, this is an issue of where we get to spend our eternity right. and of a real value of God's reign and the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. But, you know, another thing that we, that we find out in, in these five questions is that, that right knowledge doesn't equal righteousness. Right. Just because you're super smart and know the Bible doesn't mean that you're right with God. Right. And this, that's the case with, this was an expert in the law. And so he was a lawyer, Right. He was an expert lawyer, an expert lawyer in that sense. And at that uh, time and day, the law of the land were the scriptures. This is a theocracy. Now, the, the, the Romans ruled over, but they permitted local rule. And the local rule were the Pharisees. The local rule was this Jewish council. The local rule were the scriptures. It was a theocracy. And so he was an expert of applying the scriptures to people's lives and bringing down judgments according to the scriptures. That was the law of the land in that place. 
And so he's an expert in the law. And so Jesus asked him, hey, what is written in the law? And how do you interpret it? And you know what? I mean, his answer is amazing. He answers with Deuteronomy 6, 5, where he says, hey, love the, law, love the Lord, the, the greatest commandment, love the Lord with everything. And then the second scripture, which is Leviticus 19, 18. I mean, this guy knew his scriptures. He knew the scrolls. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like his Bible. I mean, he knew that one, one answer was here, another answer was there. One was the actual passive loving God with everything you have. The other was the interpretation. It says, and you know, and love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, verse 18. So he knew the correct scriptures and the correct interpretation. But there was something missing right there. And what was missing was in him really putting that into practice. And who is my neighbor? You know, James says, don't merely look into the word. Do what it says. John 8, 32, we're real disciples if we obey Jesus' teachings. Amen? Then you have the, you know, the, the one answer to this question. And Jesus basically says, go and do likewise. I mean, the answer was that basically the one who had mercy on him was the Samaritan. And this Samaritan exemplifies what you just mentioned in Scripture. Exemplifies loving God with everything you got and loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, go and do likewise. Isn't it interesting when Jesus asks this uh, teacher in the law, he asks him, hey, uh, so which one of these was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? He can't even say the Samaritan. Right. He can't even utter the word Samaritan. I mean, Jesus begins his parable by saying, you know, uh, talking about the story. And then he says, but a Samaritan. Right? He can't even say Samaritan. He says, well, the one who had mercy on him. Wow. And they just, Jesus says, you know what? Just go and do likewise. You know, there's something about parables that's, and even a parable in this sense, that, that, that has a story of real life surrounding it, is that we don't know exactly what happens before very much or after with this teacher of the law. We don't know what happens with him. It's sort of left to us as we read it and the people heard it that day. Like, what happens with this guy? Did he go and do likewise? Did he listen? Did he later decide, hey, yeah, you know, that's the kind of person I want to be. Maybe later become a follower of Jesus. We don't know. There's a possibility either way. It could have been that this encounter with Jesus totally changed and transformed this teacher of the law. It could have been that he went on his way and basically nothing really happened. And what this does is it brings to life our interaction with, our, with the scriptures today. Because today we can hear God's word, hear God's scriptures. And as we hear them in our mind, maybe we're like, the, like that teacher of the law, trying to justify ourselves, trying to find ways. Well, you know, I don't, my life, I don't know if he, you know, this doesn't totally apply. And who knows what's going to happen after we leave here. If we're actually going to put the scriptures into practice in our lives and go and do likewise. That's a pretty good question. And that's kind of where things are left off in this case. You know, one of the, the, the cool things about stories is, is the characters. 
right? All the different characters. Now, there are seven different characters. Let's see if we can all name the different characters, okay? So uh, let's, let's see if we can call them out one at a time. Who are the different characters? Okay, Samaritan, that's one. Okay, Levi. The priest. What's that? So they're robbers. We don't know whether they, they could be two or more. So let's just count them as two. The innkeeper. And, and the, the man that was the victim, right? The victim. So seven different characters. And you can think about each one of these had their own story, their own backstory, and their own part in what's going on right here as we think about. And so let's read. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So there's that man. This is a man that is nameless, a man that we don't know his name. We don't know anything much about him. A nameless man. And remember, Jesus was speaking to an audience of mostly Jewish people. So when you have a nameless person in a story, and he's starting the story, what Jesus is saying is, this is someone like you. Yeah. It's nameless, so insert your name. This is someone like you. So it's like a typical Jewish person that's listening to me today, in that day as he's speaking. This is like you. So a nameless man, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is very interesting. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, this was a drop of basically of about uh, 2,000 feet in about 15 or so miles traveling down. So it was kind of a perilous road. And so when people heard going from Jerusalem to Jericho, they knew the road. They knew about the road. This was a well-traveled road. They knew all the winding, you know, parts about it. They knew there was a deserty road, a, a ragged road, kind of a, a, a dusty uh, road. Also with a lot of places where robbers and people like that could hide. A perilous place. And maybe they had, all, they had heard of, of a friend of theirs being robbed on that road. They had heard of people kind of going with bodyguards so they wouldn't be robbed on that road. So when someone heard from Jerusalem to, Jer for, to Jericho, they kind of knew. It's like someone saying, you know, there was a guy going down the 101. Yeah. Yeah. We're like, where? By, by, by the hill where we go kind of over La Virginez right there? The, the, that hill? Or, or where in the 101? We're, we're, all, we're all familiar. So people in this day would have been totally familiar with that. It says, when he was attacked by robbers, so there's two characters. Also nameless. So also you could say, oh, that, those, could, those guys could have been me too. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. So there's another, there's a religious person, a, a, a person who should have stopped, right. doesn't stop. Then he says after that, uh, he passed, so too a Levite. So this is his next character, also should have stopped doesn't stop. But then he says, but a Samaritan, then enter the Samaritan, right? And he stops. He has compassion. He does. He goes above and beyond. And then ultimately, you have that innkeeper who just basically is a witness to what's going on. And, and this, this, this man, this, this uh, Samaritan bringing what most likely was a Jewish man, merchant, into the inn to be taken care of. So we have one of seven characters. You know, I think if you look at the story, what is Jesus trying to say to the, to the, to the uh, teacher of the law? He's trying to say, put yourself in the place of these, either of these three individuals. Right? Put yourself in the place of, are you like the Levite? Are you like the uh, priest? 
or will you be like the Samaritan? And, and really what he's trying to guide him is to say, hey, the real answer should be, I need to be like the Samaritans. As, as difficult as it is for you to say it, right. that's what the answer should be. I need to be the example, the hero of the story, the shock of the story is I need to be like the Samaritan. But have you ever put yourself in the place of the robbed, wounded, half-dead man? You know, because I think in the story we think, oh, I don't want to be like the Levite. I don't want to be like the, you know, like the priest. I, I want to be like the Samaritan. But have you thought about the perspective? How does it change your perspective? If, if you put yourself in that story as that beaten, robbed, half-dead man. You know, a lot of the parables and a lot of what Jesus is teaching, in, especially in the book of Luke, there's foreshadowing to the future. There, he, he's leading the story to the greater story of eventually Jesus will be crucified and he will be raised from the dead. And so the answer is, who would Jesus have related to in this passage? You know, the fate of the innocent man foreshadows Jesus, who was also stripped of his clothes, beaten and left half dead, hanging on a cross. The robbers, they also foreshadow the two guilty criminals who, who were crucified right next to him. You know, interesting, Luke is the only one that records a criminal having mercy on Jesus, after which he's promised eternal life in paradise. You know, this echoes Jesus' commands of do this and you will live. So there's a lot in this story, but if you are that beaten, half-dead man, who Jesus most likely would have related to, and you see, as you're, you're, you're fighting for life, sweating in this hot sun, full of dust and blood, and you see a priest just walk by, and your hope for salvation walks by with him. And you're thinking, man, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die in the middle of the desert on this God-forsaken road and no one's going to know what happened to me. My family, my kids. And then he sees another man go by and you look up and you glance and it's a Levite, a religious person. And he also walks by and you're like, man, this is it for me. I can't believe it. I have so many plans, so many things in mind to do, and it's going to end right here. And then out of nowhere comes the most unlikely person. Comes a Samaritan, and he actually stops, and he has compassion on you, and he begins to help you. And all you can think of is, wow, salvation has come to me. I could actually make it. I could actually make it. And you don't think it's Samaritan, you don't think it's this person or that person or who or what or politics or nothing. You just think, this person is my salvation. And I'm actually going to make it. How much would that change our perspective if we saw ourselves in that character today? You know, so this, this morning as we think about 
the values that, that we should embody. This goes beyond being just a really good person yeah. or a nice person. This goes to extending our love beyond our boundaries. Extending our love to help people that maybe we wouldn't think about helping or being in relationship with. And expressing God's love in a radical, transformative way. So I pray this morning that really we write our own story and that we decide to go and do likewise. It's such a privilege to be with you this morning, to worship with you, to pray with you. And I, I pray that God blesses you here in the CV ministry in an incredible way and that God does great things among you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Oh, Sorry about that. Thanks, man.